Have you ever seen your sin as something that doesn't just make you sick? Have you ever realized that your sin makes you dead? You don't just need a prescription to make you feel better. You need a resurrection. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, God's offer to you is one of new life in Christ. That's the offer of salvation. Do you know it? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. If you've been with us over the last couple weeks, we've been challenged by Pastor Trent to boldly believe the truths of God's Word as we follow Christ. We'll pick up today in the Be Bold series with the second message called God's Channels of Distribution. We'll learn how to apply biblical boldness in sharing the gospel. Here's Pastor Trent. Let me ask you to get your Bible open to the book of Acts, find chapter four. And while you're getting there, let me just suggest what the message might be that the Lord might want to speak to you. Let me just boil it down to two words. If we're going to ask God to speak, what do you think he might want to say during this season in our church? What do you think it is? How did you know? Be bold. That's the message. I believe that God is speaking to our church. That's why we've made that our theme for the year. And we're going to be unpacking that over the course of a couple of weeks here in our church. Uh, We've taken this theme from the very last verse in the book of Acts. It's a summary statement for everything that happened throughout the previous 28 chapters. The disciples, the first generation Christians, the first church was known for this. They were proclaiming the kingdom of God and they were teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all, what's the word? Boldness and without hindrance. That's the way the book ends. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look back and see an episode this morning about how that happened practically. Now, before we jump into it, Let me just identify who's here. It helps me to know who's here. How many of you have a job? Raise your hand if you have a job. How many of you are grateful for your job? Some of you lowered your hands, but that's okay. You should be grateful you have a job. How many of you have a job in the manufacturing industry? You make something. You're, a lot of you make RVs, or a lot of you make uh, grain bins, or you, you make widgets, or some of you just make trouble. But there's manufacturing. It's kind of an area of the country that's kind of known for manufacturing. Now, in order for us to understand our job as a Christian, do you know you have a job? If you're a Christian, you have a job. It's very important for for us to understand our job as Christians is not manufacturing. We are not manufacturing anything. We don't make anything. You see, there's another job that some of you have. You you don't make anything. What you do is you market something that has been made. You take the lame product that the manufacturing department created, and it's your job to make it look good enough for somebody to buy it. How many of you are in marketing? Raise your hand. Some of you are not going to raise your hand now because I just made your job sound lame, right? So uh, it's, it's either manufacturing or it's marketing. Now, please understand this. Your job as a Christian is not marketing. Because our product, quote unquote, the gospel is not lame. You don't have to make it look any better. You can't make it look any better. It's not some package or, you know, shave off the rough edges so somebody will get it. it, it we're, our job is not marketing. There's a third type 
of job that some of you have. It's not manufacturing. It's not marketing. It is distribution. It's sales, right? How many of you are in in distribution? You're you're in sales. You, You take the product that's been made and the product that has been packaged, and it's your job to deliver it and get it into the hands of the people who need the product. Please understand, your job as a Christian is not in manufacturing. It is not in marketing. It is all about distribution. And your success as a Christian is not measured by the people who accept the product, not the people who accept the gospel. Your success as a Christian, your job is simply to distribute the message. Anybody here ever have a paper route? Where are all the paper boys and paper girls? Look at, these are the people that got up at ungodly hours to deliver the paper. And you understood as the paper boy, you didn't write the news. You didn't select what font they would use in the paper or how thick the paper would be or what kind of sleeve or package it would be delivered in. It was simply your job to get the message delivered as close to the front porch, the front door at the threshold of the door as you possibly could. Not in the bushes. I'm on a soapbox now. Do you understand how important it is to deliver the message, to make it as available as possible? That's what your job was as a paperboy. Listen, listen, listen. What's my job as a Christian? To distribute, to deliver the message. I'm not responsible for writing it or creating it. I'm not responsible for packaging it or making it look good. I am responsible simply to deliver it. We are God's channels of distribution. Now, having un- if you understand that, it makes your job a little more understandable and a little more easy to deliver the message. So I want you to see how that happened in the first century church here in Acts chapter four. Before we jump into it, I want to let you know the backstory, okay? We're kind of jumping in at the middle of the story. What happened was there were these two first-generation Christians. Their names were Peter and John. They were disciples of Jesus, part of the original 12. After Jesus had been resurrected, after Jesus had ascended back to the Father, they were minding their own business. They were going into the synagogue to worship God, and on their way in, they met a man who was lame, literally lame. He could not walk. He was paralyzed. He had a a horrible condition. And and the man begged from Peter and John some money. You know what they said. We don't have any gold. We don't have any silver. But what we have, we can give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And what did he do? Man, he, he was... He was filled with God's spirit. God immediately met him in a spontaneous healing. He stood and he met the Lord that day, not only in physical healing, but in spiritual healing. So that created an uproar. This man started walking around and everybody saw this guy who used to be lame, who had now been healed. And so there was an uproar in the city. There was such an uproar that the rulers and the officials called these two guys in. That's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter four, beginning in verse one. By the way, we're going to cover 31 verses this morning. You'll know we're approaching the landing strip when we get close to verse 31. So just to let you know how long you'll be here today. Okay. So verse one, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, (laughs) interesting, they had a captain of the temple, 
security, I guess. Captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Verse 2, greatly annoyed. Mark it down. If you become a bold distributor of God's message, you will annoy some people. You say, I don't want to annoy people. I mean, I would feel like a failure if people got mad and upset. No, 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 no. If they're annoyed, you might actually be doing something right. If you've never annoyed someone, it may be because you haven't boldly been distributing the gospel. Mark it down. Bold distributors of the gospel will annoy some people. And so some people were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. Mark it down. If you become a bold distributor of the message, some people will believe. In every setting, there are people who will be annoyed, and there are some people who will be, uh, be, believe the message. And notice the number of people in this context that believed. It says at the end of verse 4, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Yes, the first church was a mega church. Now, think about this. Here's point number one of the message. Be bold enough to distribute the offer of salvation. Be bold enough to distribute God's offer of salvation. Can you imagine if the people in this room would take seriously God's admonition to you to be bold? And we went out into this community doing what these first-generation Christians did. We proclaimed the kingdom and we taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in response to us being bold distributors of the message, God breathed life into 5,000 people in this community. And they all showed up the next week at church. Where would they park? Where would we put them? More importantly, here's the question. Who would disciple them? Do you often hear from this platform encouragement that you need to stop being a consumer at church and start being a contributor? Do you often hear from this platform you need to leave your comfort zone of being fed and becoming someone who feeds? Do you often hear from this platform you need to take responsibility to step into a leadership role in this church and look for someone that you can bring under you to mentor, to counsel, to pray for, and to disciple? You know one of the reasons why I don't believe God has yet to bring 5,000 people in the past week is because we're not equipped to deal with them. We're, we don't have enough leaders that have said, give me some disciples to mentor. I, I would love to lead a small group. I would, I, I would love to take a group and, and teach them what's been given to me. It's not that I'm all that smart, but somebody gave it to me. I'd love to give it away. That's what your responsibility is as a Christian, to step into a role where you are proclaiming the kingdom and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, not just out there with unbelievers, but in here, discipling those who have come to faith in Christ. That's what I'm believing God for, is a whole host of new leaders in our church that would become disciplers of disciples. Look again here at verse 
5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired. They asked them a question. They bring them in. Here's the inquisition. By what power or by what name did you do this? Translation, who do you think you are? You didn't check with us. I mean, if there's going to be healing, it's got to be authorized by people who have the religious credentials to do stuff like this. I mean, you went outside of our authority. In other words, we're not going to get credit if you don't do this in our name. And so he, Peter and John very simply answer them. Verse 8, then Peter, notice, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now stop right there. You know about this guy, Peter? Peter is known as one of the boldest people in the Bible, right? But um, there are different versions of Peter as we see him unfold throughout Scripture. And there are some less than flattering episodes in Peter's life. This episode is a good, good episode. This is good Peter. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you remember um, Marvel Comics? Remember the Hulk? How many of you know the Hulk? What, what was his name before he would get mad and turn into the Hulk? Bruce Banner. Do you remember that phrase when, when he was about to get angry and he was trying to control himself and he would look at somebody and say, don't, d d don't make me angry. Y you wouldn't like me when I'm angry, right? Well, Peter would have a similar phrase. D d d don't find me empty. You, you wouldn't like me when I'm empty. Do you remember some previous episodes in Peter's life where he was found empty, not filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you remember when um, he was um, um, with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus? And Peter stood up, grabbed his sword, and started fighting for Jesus. It's like, I'll protect Jesus. He needs me. I'll show how valiant I am. And he ends up cutting off the ear of one of these guys. Jesus graciously, lovingly picked up the ear, put it back on the guide and said, Peter, put your sword away. Um, not necessary. I got this. Okay. And, and what you find there was a Peter who was reckless. Bold, but reckless. Wrong time, wrong instrument, wrong weapon. Okay. This is not the, t Peter, Peter, just settle down. And then just a few hours later, Jesus is on the cross and Peter is confronted by a little girl who says, weren't you, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter says, no, -uh, not me. Um, yeah, I think you were. No, 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 wrong guy, wrong guy. No, I think you were Jesus. And he cusses the little girl out. That's fearful, Peter. So you wouldn't like Peter when he's not filled with the Holy Spirit. But let me introduce you to a Peter who is filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what we find when he's filled with the Holy Spirit? We find appropriate boldness. Look at it in verse eight. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, love it, rulers and peoples and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed, underline that, good deed, 
concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, he drops the name, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. I want you to notice something here. Peter was examined, Peter got a hearing, Peter got an opportunity to share the gospel because his good deed opened the door. Do you understand that your good deeds create an opening for the gospel? That's why you can't live a selfish life only concerned about yourself. You've got to look for people with need. Look for people who are lame, who need a little help, who need somebody to come alongside them and do something good for them. Good deeds create an opening for the gospel. That's why around here we have things like Second Serve Saturday. That's why we do the fall festival. It's not about dressing up in costumes. It's not about the candy. It's an opportunity to say, you know what? We want to show goodwill to people down in the heart of the city where it's harder down there. And to have conversations. Why would you do this? Why would you go to all the trouble? Why would you do the expense of building a wheelchair ramp, of, of, of hosting an event like that, of cleaning up somebody's house? Why would you do that? Because we want our good deeds to create an opening to create a gospel conversation. So boldness in good deeds leads to goldness in distributing the offer of salvation. Now, if we only do good deeds... In our name, people are going to think we are good. All that does is puff you up and make you arrogant and proud. We have to drop the name. So let me ask you this. In your attempt to distribute the gospel, do you use the name of Jesus Christ? Or do you stop short? Do you say things like this? I go to a wonderful church, Harvest Bible Chapel, we have such a wonderful worship leader. His name is Micah. We have a preacher who can hold most of the people's attention for a few minutes. His name is Trent. And you've just got to come to Harvest Bible Chapel so you can hear Micah and Trent. And, and you stop short of using the name. Do, do you go a little bit farther and say, and that's where we worship God. God is so wonderful and God has done so much for me. That's good. But the question in their mind is, which God? And you're like the one with the big G and not the ones with the little G. You've got to use the name. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, did not back up. He was not afraid. He was bold enough to use the name of Jesus Christ and get the gospel where it needed to go. And that gave him an opportunity to share the whole story because it's not just about what Jesus taught, even though he taught some wonderful things, it's ultimately about what Jesus did that communicates the gospel. What did he say to those people? Do you see it there in, um, in verse 10? It says in the middle, it says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, by the way, they didn't ask Peter what Jesus did. They just asked Peter, by whose name have you healed this man? 
But he goes further than what they ask and use their question to get the gospel in. And so Peter looks at them and says, whom you crucified. Yes. Peter looks them right in the eye and in essence says, you dirty, rotten sinners nailed this man to the cross. You crucified him by your rebellion against God, the one that God sent to be your savior, you rejected and hung him on the cross. Peter doesn't skirt around the cross. He goes directly to the one thing that Jesus did to atone for the sin of dirty, rotten sinners. The message of the gospel is very simple. Do you know it? Do you know it? My son, Zach, is a freshman at Cedarville University and I had a chance to go see him last week as I was a part of some, some council meetings there and, and Zach took me to his spiritual formation class. I was so happy Zach showed me that he sat on the front row. Yes, he showed me where the library was. He'd found the library. Yes, I'm so happy as a father. My son has figured out school is good, you know? So he told me about an episode that happened the week before. He said, in our spiritual formation class, our professors broke us into groups. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get in a group of about five, about 50 kids in the class. And he said, I want your groups to work on this during class. I just want you to come back in your group with the answer to this one question. What is the gospel? And when Zach heard that, he leaned back and he said, that has been drilled into my head since I was four years old. I go to Harvest Bible Chapel. If I don't know the answer to this question, I might as well just flunk out of school right now. And so he told his group, he's like, guys, I got this. Somebody take out a sheet of paper. I'll give it to you. And he looked at him. He said, just write this down. God is holy. Man is sinful. Christ is the Savior. Repent and believe. Jesus died on a cross in my place as a substitute for my sin and only those who repent and believe will be saved. Just write that down. That is the gospel. And he sat back like, man, we can dismiss early from this class because I got this, right? And the people in his group kind of looked at each other and looked at Zach and they're like, that's not the gospel. That's way too simple. I mean, we... We've got to create like some big theological, you know, construct to try to impress our professor. And Zach was just so confused that they would not just understand that it is Jesus crucified on a cross in my place as a substitute for my sin. And he will save all who were repent and believe. He just couldn't believe. He's like, I can't, dad, what do I do with these people? And they're just, it's like, I don't. Like, okay, Zach, now you're going to have to understand the meaning of the words so that you can help them understand the significance of the offer of salvation. And it's got to be something more than just a rote definition. But can I ask you? You're a distributor of the gospel. It's your job to distribute. Do you know the message? It's not your job to distribute. It's not your job to manufacture the message. It's not your job to market the message. It's your job to distribute the message. Do you know it? Do you know it? You crucified Jesus Christ 
on the cross. What happened on the cross? That wasn't just a, a death that was like every other death. There was something cosmic that was taking place on the cross. God the Father was treating Jesus as if he had committed every sin of every person who would ever believe so that those who would believe could be treated by God the Father as if they had never sinned. That's the gospel. Peter looks up and said, you crucified Jesus Christ. But there's hope beyond the grave. He goes on there in verse 10 and says, but God raised him. You crucified him, but God raised him. God overcame your terminal sentence of death. There's hope in the resurrection of Christ. You see, part of our problem is this. We think that our sin, I mean, everybody kind of acknowledges, yeah, nobody's perfect. I mean, even you'll admit that, right? Ah, nobody's perfect. As if we would question whether or not that was, you know, a reality. Thank you for trying to convince us of that. We knew that, okay? The question is this. Have you ever seen your sin as something that doesn't just make you sick? It's like, <laughs> I've just got a cough. <clears throat> just clear my throat, take a cough drop. I'll be better. I can function with this. Have you ever seen your sin as something beyond something that makes you sick? Have you ever realized that your sin makes you dead? Dead. You are in the grave. No life. No hope. You are dead. You crucified him. Your sin is crucifying you. It's going to make you dead, separated from God for all eternity. You don't just need a prescription to make you feel better. You need a resurrection. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that says God's offer to you is one of new life in Christ. Hope beyond the grave. You crucified Jesus Christ, but God raised him from the dead. And the same God that raised Jesus from the dead needs to raise you from the dead spiritually so that you can survive the grave that you're headed to as well. That's the offer of salvation. Do you know it? Do you know it? By the way, if you're not a Christian, you came here today, it's like, dude, I don't have a first clue about distributing anything. I'm just trying to figure this thing out. I just gave you the gospel. And your responsibility is what are you going to do with that? Will you be bold enough to believe it? Will you be bold enough to embrace it? You crucified Jesus. But God raised him. And God can raise you too if you'll ever understand how your sin has separated you from Christ. Now, those of us that are distributors of the gospel, we need to understand that as we offer salvation to people and his name is Jesus, our job is hard because most of the people we will communicate with, it's not so much they have a problem with Jesus. It's not so much that they reject Jesus. It's that they won't reject their substitute saviors that they're already believing will save them. I want you to see verse 12, look at it. It says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given, underline the word given in verse 12. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
As we embrace our job as distributors of the gospel, let's pray that God would give us the boldness that he gave to Peter in declaring, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God has entrusted us with the only message that offers lasting hope to a sin-sick world. Well, you've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. And we'd like to invite you to join us at one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. Well, thanks for being with us today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I pray that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. I hope you'll join us next week at this same time. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.